Join me, if you will, in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to begin a new series that will take us through the remainder of the summer, a series I'm calling The Big Picture. And we're going to see what God's big picture is and how we fit into his great story. It can be humbling when you think about your life. In particular, how humbling it is that the world seemed to get along just fine before we came on the scene. Think about centuries before we ever came along, just life kept happening, and then we entered in. Here's something that's even more humbling than that. When you consider that after your time on the earth, the earth will continue to function. People will maybe miss you for a little while, but then they will move on, and life will happen without you. I was in a meeting some months ago, and one of the brothers brought up this topic, and he said this. He said, you know, your great, great grandchildren probably won't ever even know your name. In fact, he made the point, how many of you can come up with the names of your great, great grandparents? It's very humbling. You think, well, how dare they not talk about me <laughs> to the generations coming? That's very humbling. But even if you set out, it's my ambition. I'm going to live in such a way and do some great things so that my descendants will remember me. Even if you made that your goal, it's probably not going to happen. And here's the good news. That's not why you're on the planet. You're not here to create a great story for yourself. You're not here to create a great name for yourself. You are a part of God's great story. And that's what we're going to talk about over these next several Sundays. And here's the story of God, the big picture summarized in four words. First, creation. Second word, fall. Then redemption. Then restoration. And your life fits inside of God's big story. Again, creation, sadly a fall, then redemption, and then restoration. But we start this morning with creation. And everything hinges on the idea that we were created. We didn't just randomly, accidentally appear. You were created. Foundational. But think about it with me. Your whole life, that truth that you were created by God has been under attack in your life. True? You've been bombarded with messages telling you, no, no, not created, random, accidental. And because that's so, people struggle to find meaning. So think about it. In school, you were taught in your public school textbooks, random creation, random, actually not creation, random processes, unguided processes, mutations. That's why you're here. Whenever you've gone to a natural science museum, <clears throat> same idea, you are random. If you watch a Discovery Channel documentary, Millions and billions of years, and you are an accident. And because of that, people struggle with meaninglessness. Albert Muller called Darwinism the great destroyer of meaning. I love that quote. Isn't that true? If you've been raised up to think you're just a big accident, there's no meaning, then yeah, it destroys any sense of purpose in your life. And so people then who have grown up in this mindset and those who are proponents of this evolutionary mindset, they try to bring about a created meaning for life. So one popular scientist, he's coined this statement. He says, you are literally stardust. And uh, he thinks that's supposed to make us feel good. In fact, his, his, the full quote is, you're not figuratively, you are literally stardust. In other words, your atoms that make up you came from distant stars, whatever blew up, you are that. In fact, they make t-shirts with this. Like that's supposed to be something I'd walk around. You, I am stardust. 
I was joking with Lindsay about that last night. I'm going to order one of those for Christmas for you. I'm stardust. Uh, then there's a full quote that you could probably have as a poster on your wall that says, no matter how difficult today is, remember, you're stardust. How does that provide any meaning for your life? There, there's a reach to try to put some meaning where they have stripped meaning out. Others just growing up being taught this have really no idea of why they're here. And so for many people of this generation, they've made their life purpose the preservation of the earth in environmentalism. So we're not against taking care of the earth, but, but imagine if that were your life purpose. That's your, your statement purpose, your, your life statement. Listen to this one. Saw this one online. One person said this, how pitiful. My life's purpose is to be a caretaker of the earth by living a life of zero waste and reducing my carbon footprint. Listen, we're not against reducing waste. All that, that's good if that's a part of your life. But if that is your life, that's a very sad, empty purpose statement for a life. Then others just go into the, the type of nihilism. That's designed, defined this way. A viewpoint that traditional values and beliefs are unfounded and that existence is senseless and useless. So some people, their whole lives have been taught, you don't have a maker. You're just here. This is all a big accident. So many have just embraced it. There's even a name for it. Then I'm just going to exist and I'm just going to do as I please. Nothing really matter. it matters. So this is a depressingly empty and sad worldview that develops from this. So good news for us this morning, you are not accidental. And God has not left you here with no purpose and no plan. God has not left you here to try to scrape together an invented purpose for your meaningless life. Absolutely not. We fit into a grand story, the grand story of God. Creation, yes, a fall, but then redemption and restoration. There is meaning for your life, particularly if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and your future in him is immensely, eternally glorious. And we're going to get there. But today we're going to talk about creation. And this point, you have a creator and you must know this. You have an intelligent creator. You have a personal creator. God is a person. You have a communicating creator and he has revealed to you in his word how you got here. And you have a creator who made everything, including you, and he made you with a specific purpose. You were made for him. You were made for his glory. So let's go back to the beginning. I have you in Genesis 1, the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You should memorize that. And I bet you just did. That's an easy one. You've heard it your whole life. But you should know it. You should meditate on it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, God is distinct from his creation. God is an eternal God. He's outside of his creation. And he has created the earth and space. See God's creative power. He created everything from nothing. Listen to Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So God created the heavens. What's that? That's the sky and everything you see in it. 
And even in things you're unable to see without the aid of a telescope, God made all of that. How stunning. And he made the earth. This impressive planet that he precisely prepared for you and I to live on. He created it for us to live on it. And the rest of Genesis 1 kind of details what he made. So verse 3, famously, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke light into existence. Verse 4, we're told that God created the sky. Verse 9, he created dry land. Verse 11, he created the plants and all vegetation. Verse 14, this is a sweeping reality. God created the sun and the moon and all the stars. So think about the distant galaxies. God created all of that. There's verse 14. Then verse 20, God created the creatures in the water and the birds in the sky. And then verse 24, God created the wild and the domesticated animals. And after each of these creation days, God declared that it was all good. One scholar said it this way, creation by the word of God. Students of literature have said that the creation of the world by the word of God is one of the most sublime of all human thoughts. Among other things, it means creation by a person. The vast expanse of the universe and the enormous number of stars and galaxies can numb a thoughtful person into a sense of meaninglessness. But when one knows that it was all created by the word of God, one knows that a person is behind the frigid mask of the stellar spaces. I love that statement. But then we come to verse 26, and we see the crowning creation of God when he made human beings. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let's pause there a second. Here we have a hint at the triune nature of God right here in the first pages of scripture to be developed much more fully as we see in the New Testament. But here we have at the beginning, God speaking of himself in the plural, one God eternally existing as three persons. Here, a hint of it. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Stay with me now, verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Are you still with me? Male and female, he created them. So the crowning creation of God, after all the things that he made that were good, he made mankind. And a stunning statement here, he made them in his image. So what does it mean that God created human beings in his image? It certainly speaks to a special relationship that God created us to have with him, unlike anything else in all of creation. One person said it this way, humans are unique among the creatures in that they are like God and therefore able to have communion and fellowship with God. We don't know all that that statement in his image means. Scholars have been probing into the depths of that statement for, for ages, but it certainly means we are distinct from all other creatures. It means we're set apart from all the other things God made for this special relationship with God. Among the things that we can consider with this, it certainly rules out evolution from lower forms of life. Very clearly, God says, you are created distinct from every other creature. You are distinctly made. You are created in my image. There's application from this. 
Certainly when you understand that you were made in the image of God and every other human was made in the image of God, this rules out mistreating any other human being. They are people who bear the image of God. I dare not treat them poorly. Doesn't this rule out racism? I can't treat another race of people like they're somehow inferior to me. They're created in the image of God as much as I am. Certainly it rules out abuse, oppression of other people. Then I want you to also notice that both men and women are said to be created in his image. See it again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So I want you to notice some distinctions that God built into creation. First of all, notice this. God is distinct from his creation. God is not from the creation. He's outside of his creation and he spoke it into existence. Also notice this. Humans are distinct from God. So God is the creator and we are his creations. Then notice that humans are distinct from all other animals. Again, only of the human beings are we said to be in his image. And then another distinction, that males are distinct from females. So we've been talking about God is our creator. We must know that, but I also want us to affirm today this. God created a glorious gender binary. God created a glorious Gender binary, see it again in the word of God. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we do not run from that wonderful truth. We celebrate that beautiful truth. There is a clear distinction in God's word about this. So in the Bible, your creator has consistently with no exceptions, always spoken of males and females. Always he speaks of men and women. Always he speaks of husbands and wives. Always he speaks of sons and daughters. And nobody thought to question that until our lifetime. This only became really super controversial in I think the last five years. At least this, it only became something that might be career threatening for you in the last five years. So now where I work, I can speak this way. But even then there could be ramifications, right? This message online, who knows what somebody does with it and we just can't predict what angry people do in a hostile culture. But nevertheless, what would we do but affirm what God has said? But where you might work, just think about how, how recently this has all changed. This radical mindset, so very new that, that many of you where you work, that you wouldn't wanna bring this up tomorrow. This might be the one message you don't tell your friends, hey, watch church from Sunday. Because this will get people fired. Can you imagine that? Something that a decade ago, maybe people were talking about. 20 years ago, people think, why are you belaboring this point? We all, we all know that. There are a few people who don't, but we all know. But now you live in a place where to bring this up could be career ending for you. There's a financial cost or people who want to do you in if you would dare say, what everybody knew just 20, 25 years ago, certainly 100 years ago, and certainly here in the word of God. See with me this, that God has not introduced the confusion into our culture. God's word says the same thing that it always has said. But the culture has introduced some things that we didn't bring about. So we live in a day where people speak of birthing persons rather than mothers. God doesn't speak that way. Instead of women, we hear about menstruating people or chest feeding 
and things like this. I don't even know what to do with some of that. But God says male and female. And I just want to affirm here, we're not being unkind to speak this way. We're speaking of what I've said, a glorious gender binary, a beautiful gender binary. We, we celebrate this good design of a good God of how he made us, not at all seeking to be unkind. God is very clear. But I think we'd also say that it is rebellion to reject this teaching from the word of God, which is so obviously revealed in scripture, so obviously revealed in biology, which is so obviously revealed in your own anatomy. And even if we go to the microscopic level, all the way down to your DNA, that God has created males and females. So against your creator, you would say, I'm not I'm not what you say I am, I am what I say I am. That no one defines me but myself. But Genesis 1 declares the truth that you have a creator and he is God. And listen, he is good. And you are among his good creations just the way he made you. You're not accidental. You are here for a purpose, the purpose he has for you. You are a human by his design. That means you're not an angel. By the way, you'll never be an angel. And you are not an animal, neither are you God, you are human. And as a part of being a human, you are male or female for his glory and for his purposes. And again, we speak that truth in love. Of course, you and I would be very sympathetic if we met somebody who says, I am very confused at this point. I feel like I'm in the wrong body. Listen, that is a, a tragic psychological condition for somebody to be in. And so you and I can deal with an individual who's deeply troubled on level with great compassion. And our move is to, to draw them to their creator, not away from their design, but to their design. And ultimately to a savior who loves them, who can forgive them, restore them, hopefully bring healing and wholeness to them according to their design. Much patience, much grace. We would do that. And certainly we better get used to this because we have a culture that's propagating this, demanding this of our students. And there will be more people confused by this. Some maybe they don't remember why they were confused, but now it's so championed and this dogma is there. We're going to have to help young people untangle from this worldview. And we can do that with great grace, great patience, pointing people to their maker, pointing people to their savior. But simultaneously, we know what the culture is demanding. There's this merciless movement to stamp out any gender distinctions and untold damage is being done to society and to families and to impressionable boys and girls. And this is where we say to the culture, listen, we're going to speak this truth in love, but we cannot go with you. We cannot say what you're demanding that we say. Our God has spoken of this. We all have known this. We won't go with you in this cultural moment. So when they say that male and female is just a cultural construct, we say, no, no, this is not a cultural thing. This is a created issue. And we see it right here in the scripture. So in love, we're going to hold to the word of God and speak that truth in love. Today, you might be here and you might be one who's really tormented at this level. There's confusion deep inside and you're questioning your identity. Again, we would point you to your maker who loves you, who made you, who cares about you in that point of distress. And you're among people who would love to walk with you toward healing and wholeness in that to patiently work with you. You can come to Christ and be made new. You can have forgiveness for your sins and now have the purpose you've always been looking for in your life. That meaning that's been stripped from you to show you that, oh, God has meaning for your life and you'll find it in a relationship with Jesus Christ.
We've been talking about the fact that we have a creator. We've been talking about this glorious gender binary that he created. But now a question we have to take up, and it's this one. What about evolution? What about evolution? Well, this week in preparation to stand before you, I read numerous articles from a pro-evolution standpoint. I want to be fair. I don't want to come up unprepared or to make statements that I haven't investigated. It's not the first time I've done that. But anytime I come to this topic, let's just take a fresh look. And, uh, and what I found is, once again, looking at their articles, not impressed, not intimidated. Nothing in me having looked at what they're saying is making me think, you know, maybe we've got this wrong and maybe we need to try to cobble together their evolutionary theories with what the Bible says. I'm not seeing any reason to do that. What I do see a lot is bluster on the part of those who are pushing evolution. So here's one example. Online, somebody asked a good question. Here's the good question. Are there non-religious biologists who do not believe in evolution? It's a good question. Are there non-religious biologists who don't believe in evolution? The answer to that is yes. There are non-Christian, non-religious biologists who don't believe evolution. But here was the response. Rather than saying yes to that, a person says this. How can one be a biologist while denying one of the most fundamental or one of the most important foundations of modern biology? One can certainly disagree about how some things happen in the evolutionary process, but categorically disbelieving that evolution has a role in the diversity of life on earth is pretty much the same thing as saying you are a physicist who doesn't believe in gravity or being a carpenter who doesn't believe in wood or a potter who doesn't believe in clay. Did you hear that? That's just a condescending insult. That's not evidence. It's not a straight answer. It's not evidence. But you'll see a lot of that just insulting. The, the, the general idea out there is this. If you are a thinking person, then you will see that evolution is just unquestioned. It's settled science. Just, just go along. But that's not true. There are plenty of PhD scientists who would say we don't see that. We see plenty of problems with the evolutionary approach. And so once again, having looked at this literature once again, not impressed, not intimidated, would never try to combine that together with creation. I think you would create more problems, more theological problems than if you leave them alone. One of the secular articles I read this week simply was entitled Evidence for Evolution. Well, let me start there. So what, what are our students being taught in school? What is their so-called evidence? Once again, not impressed. Among the evidences that they gave in this article, the similarities of animal features. And their effort to try to say, look, we have a common ancestor. Look at these similarities. And I would say, I don't think that's compelling at all. This could point to a common creator, not a common ancestor. And then one of the other ones that's just easy to spot as a problem is when they point to microevolution to somehow prove macroevolution. So in other words, they'll point to an animal adapting and say, look, there's adaptation and that proves that evolution exists. No, no, it doesn't. Animals do adapt, but they don't become other animals. So for instance, one of the examples they'll give to our students is this, that mosquitoes can become pesticide resistant. Well, that's a problem. I wish they didn't, but they're still mosquitoes. They're not even close to becoming a fly or any other flying object. They're still a mosquito. That mosquito has adapted and it's, it's pesticide resistant but still there. Or Darwin's famous finches, still finches, just with longer or shorter beaks. 
And so we say that we're not convinced by that. We're not fooled by that. We can see adaptation is not the same thing as this grand theory saying that we've all evolved from lower life forms. There's just not evidence for that. No convincing evidence. And so one of the things we need to be able to do is appreciate science, but recognize when the scientists have left science. So you and I like science. We like our doctors who do verifiable things. They will see cancer and they will then test medications and, and they'll be able to observe that through this medication, we actually reduce tumors and that's real verifiable science. And we applaud that. And most of us like our technologies. We're not anti-intellectual, anti-science, but can we not notice when those who are scientists start speculating about origins? They're not doing the same type of science now. Now it's getting into the realm of philosophy and they're surmising and making inferences and making guesses and conjecture. And we say, well, that's not the same thing as testing chemotherapy on tumors. That's a very different type of thing, but you're calling it science. It's speculative science and we will not be swayed by that. Furthermore, do you know that scientists are people just like you and they are afraid for where they work. They want to keep their livelihood to feed their children, educate their children. And so they're really not free to question the dogma if they want to hold on <clears throat> to their jobs. We see this even if we go back to the gender issue. Doctors really having to be quiet. They know what, they, what biology is, but they have to go along or they would be kind of railroaded out of town. And so the same things happen on these campuses, not free to think. But I'm grateful for brave scientists who will question the evolutionary dogma of the day. And there are many of them out there. One that's pretty prominent is the one by the name of Michael Behe. He's a biochemist at Lehigh University, and he will show you evidence even at the molecular level, even at DNA level for the evidence for a, an intelligent designer, a creator. He would tell you as a scientist, the evolutionary process cannot explain life. It's far too complex, even at, at a bacteria level, for it just to randomly have come out. And so I encourage you to look at his things. I don't know that he's a Bible-believing Christian, but he certainly does a great job of holding the line here and saying, wait a minute, let's not all be swayed by evolutionary theory. Plenty of other scientists also questioning that. Here's another question for us. What about the age of the earth? Isn't the earth billions of years old? Well, again, having looked at it again this week, I see no reason to adopt that view. I still hold gladly to six literal creation days from a plain reading of our text here in Genesis. But of course, it's not surprising that the earth would appear old. Consider how God created a fully functioning universe on day one. We didn't evolve to this point. God spoke. It exists. It's already fully <clears throat> functioning. As some have called it, it is a mature earth. When God said, let there be light, there was immediately light. When God planted these plants and vegetation, these were fully functioning fruit bearing trees on day one. I don't know if you could have cut down one of those trees, what kind of rings you would have seen in the tree, but already bearing fruit, already beneficial to the first man and woman and those first human beings. Uh, they were not created as infants. And then we're going to watch them grow up. Day one, Adam and Eve created as adults. And we can just guess how old were they? Maybe 22, I don't know, 25. How old were these first ones? But if you tested them, they, they would have the appearance of being 22 or 25, whatever the first couple was. But in reality, this is day one. And then, of course, there's the great flood of Genesis chapter 6 that describes things that maybe would explain the fossil record, some of the things there, the geological formations and features. But here's the point. We don't need to be intimidated. 
We don't need to unquestionably follow what somebody says because they say, well, we are scientists or it's, it's settled science when reality we see, no, you're actually speculating a great deal. And there aren't these things in the fossil record that would show species becoming other species still not there. So for us not to be intimidated, let me suggest this for us. When you're maybe in a classroom to our students and you have questions brought to you, listen, you may not be able to answer every question. Some teacher could bring up some supernova and you go, I don't even know what a supernova is. I'm not sure. You can kind of research that later, but why not be armed with some questions of your own? Maybe having coffee with a colleague and they bring up this thing. What about evolution? You can ask questions back that they don't have answers for. Here's one that came to my mind over the last several months. And it was this one. How would evolution explain human reproduction? The, the need for a male and female, this clearly designed system for reproduction, so perfectly made, how would evolution account for that? Because wouldn't that be an inefficient way if things randomly happen where you now need a male and a female to keep the race going, how would that even happen? And how did you have any humans or, or living things before you had the other sex there? And so, so, so I, it's a, maybe it seems like a basic question. And so I was even, am I thinking, I thought, well, if I could come up with that question, surely the scientists have, and I bet they have a, I bet they have some explanation for that before I stand up here and raise the question. So I went looking for what do the scientists say about how did human sexuality and reproduction come about? And you know what the answer I found? They say, we don't know. We don't know how to. I'm just saying it's a valid question that the other side will have things you can ask as basic as these questions are. Well, we, we don't know. Or they'll come up with some explanation, but you'll see that's, that's really weak. They're guessing at that. Or maybe a more basic question is what exploded in space? How did any matter get there to supposedly explode randomly? That's a basic question. And one of the answers that they'll say back, and you'll see it's a faith statement on their part. They'll say, well, matter, maybe matter always existed. Maybe those elements were always there. Well, that's, that's a statement. We say God's always existed. They're making faith statements. They have no way of knowing that. It's still a very unusual question. You can ask questions and, and yes, you might squirm at a question they ask you, but you have good questions to ask back. They don't have answers. And then the question beyond this, this explosion, you say, but when did life begin? And where did life begin? And they have their theories and you'll see them guessing at that and conjecture and speculation. You'll see that's not science. They're just trying to guess that if given enough time with these elements there over billions of years, all of this complexity would come about. Some of them have given up on that. They realize that the numbers don't sign up. It's just mathematically implausible for that to have happened randomly. Even given all the years, they say, for this kind of complexity to come up, just not possible. Some have punted on that altogether. And they say, well, probably alien life brought in life here. We think anything but God, right? I will, I will believe anything. But that's still punting the question to another galaxy somewhere. So how did the life get there? So I'm just saying we have questions to ask back. We don't need to be intimidating. We certainly don't need to give up on the, on the truth that you have a creator. Some of them will tell you, all right, you can have your God. And he played some little part in this evolutionary process. It's kind of a demeaning role for God to say he, he just kind of got it going. And somehow or he jumped in at certain points. Whereas the word of God declares in his majesty and his great power and his great intellect, he spoke it ended existence. Do not bail on that. So we have the answer here, an eternal self-existing God who exists outside of creation, spoke creation into existence. And your life story fits into his grand story that begins for us at creation. And this creation that he made 
was all initially good. We'll talk in a couple of weeks about what went wrong in the fall, but what he made was good. And again, you are part of that good creation of God. And so today is a wonderful opportunity for you to affirm your faith in God as your creator. Again, Hebrews eleven three. by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so this has profound implications. If you will nail that down and affirm that again today, first of all, you should be in awe of this God who is your creator. It's what we see in Psalm 8. Psalm 8, verse 3, when I look at your heavens, don't you love that statement? This is your heavens. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? That's all. God, you're so great. Why did you even, why do you even notice me? Why did you even place me here? I'm awed by you. Not only being awed, but you should embrace your design. Beyond that, embrace your purpose, which your purpose is this. You were, you were created for him. You were created to walk with him. Isn't that what we see with the first man and woman made and placed in a perfect garden to fellowship and know God? Listen, you and I have the same purpose to, to know God. Of course, we're going to need a savior because we were born after the fall and there is a savior. Why should we trust in Jesus? Because he is God, the son. As Chip read to us earlier in Colossians one, we read this, all things were created by him and for him. God, the son made you. And then seeing us in our trouble and all of our sin and brokenness, deserving judgment, Jesus came to rescue us. He came to his creation, lived a perfect life, and he gave his body and blood on a cross to make atonement payment for your sins. And he was raised up on the third day. And here's the promise of Jesus. If you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. You'll have everlasting life with the God who made you in a perfected creation forever. Oh, I would for you to put your faith in Jesus, trust in him today, but it does begin by affirming God as your creator. Would you pray with me?